Good evening, people. Good evening, rum lovers, spirit lovers, or just curious people. Uh, this is Matt here for episode 101 of Matt Explains Rum. And tonight we're going to focus on the main product, the main produce uh, dedicated to this podcast channel, which is rum. And I thought I would start by laying down the, some fundamentals, explaining really what is so interesting about rum that got me totally hooked a few years ago. And I know I still have many, many more years in front of me of the discovery and experimentation. A bit about myself. I just spent the past five years uh, managing a very key uh, importation and distribution uh, company of uh, spirits and rum in Asia. I was based out of Singapore for many years and now I'm back in France, uh, which is home. And you had probably found out based on my accent that France is my home country. Um, so now about rum, uh, to me, there are probably four points or four areas that make rum a very worthy spirit of choice. And as I'm going to draw a lot of comparisons with other spirits, I just want to highlight that I don't uh, denigrate or negatively compare with honor any other category. We're going to draw a lot of comparisons with whiskey, uh, with tequila and other fermented spirits. But I'm just trying to highlight uh, what is so special about rum and to uh, explain that rum deserves a lot, a much better reputation than uh, the current uh, image it has. So to begin with is the history. I uh, don't know if any of you have ever wondered uh, where rum is coming from and how this all started. Well, like a, like a lot of food and, uh, and spirit produce, uh, rum came out of necessity. And there was a necessity to uh, preserve the juice given by the sugar canes. And there was a, a need to, um, to transform byproduct of the sugar uh, production, and it ex which explains why rum uh, developed itself, um, firstly, mostly in the Caribbean but all in other territories which are very big rum uh, sugar producers like india like in the indian ocean uh, mauritius and iranian island or like in australia for example is a very big rum producer like thailand is a very big rum producer in volume huh? um, absolutely and then how most of the caribbean uh, islands are one way or the other producing rum all the way down to Brazil, of course, which is very famous for the local rum called Caipirinha. Uh, not Caipirinha, <laughs> my God, that's the cocktail made with it. Um, the cachaça, of course, I was uh, I was mentioning. And the history of rum uh, really is um, early, mid-17th century. So we talk about 400 years ago. A um, lot of trade being done between especially Europe and the Caribbean and lots of uh, sugar being transported and a lot of rum being made and there was a there was a um, there was a practical use for rum back then and which was very valid uh, until a couple of hundred years later is we all have this imagery of pirates being drunk on ships 
and people being always drunk at sea. And that was actually not far so far from the truth. The reason being is um, until at least soda water was invented much, much later, uh, water will perish, will become perishable at sea very fast. So if you were going at sea for three weeks, a month, two months, three months, unfortunately, after a couple of days, the water in the tanks in the boats were, will make you very sick. And the only thing that the sailors could carry with them that would be uh, they were able to drink without getting totally sick was booze. And that's why sailors have the reputation of always drinking a lot. It's because at least in the British Navy until the early 1970s, sailors were given two pints of rum a day. And I don't know if you can imagine yourself drinking two pints of rum in a high 50% of alcohol a day. That's about a liter of booze. Uh, so definitely this guy must have built some solid um, resistance to, to, to alcohol. But my point is really to say that really rum was around already in the years uh, 1600s. The eldest registered distillery still in activity is Worthy Park of Jamaica, which started in 1670. Um, a lot of people believe Mangay is the oldest distillery. Mangay is the eldest distillery which had continuous uh, operation. Mangay never stopped, never stopped operation since they started in 1703. So Mangay is uh, 320 years old. Uh, Worthy Park stopped from 1962 to 2005 uh, when Jamaica gave subsidy to sugar factories to stop distillation in the early 60s. Uh, Worthy Park stopped making rum. Uh, until 2005 and the first bottle of Worthy Park came out in 2007. So me, I particularly like and I think we all enjoy a product with a long history and whilst we are all very familiar with the history of whiskey because it's been heavily marketed and communicated by uh, mostly our friends from Scotland, uh, rum hasn't been so proficient in uh, putting forth its history and all the amazing stories of the past. Um, but the history is there. It just needs to do, we just need to do a little bit of digging and a little bit of unearthing those treasures. And that's one of the reasons that make rum so interesting and so fascinating. Is there really this 400 years of history to, to explore and to develop? A lot, of course, has been lost and not recorded. So there's a lot of, so of, uh, of guessing or imagination to do. But definitely, it gives us all the place that we need to let our imagination run wild and drink and dream of pirates of the Caribbean and, and pirates and white sandy beaches and coconut trees and all, that's, uh, that, uh, all that fascination that we have uh, for, for the Caribbean. Of course, this is just a vision of the mind. And as in this podcast and future episodes, we will also uh, discover and figure out that there is a lot more to know about Caribbean than the general image that we have of it. It's of course a much more diverse uh, region than what we believe, most people believe, with very strong uh, cultural differences between islands uh, and very different styles of rum uh, in many, many different aspects. But 400 years of history, uh, a lot of savoir-faire, a lot of know-how, a lot of, uh, of tradition to discover in rum. And that's why already, that's why I make this product so so authentic. Um, the second point for me that makes rum so interesting is the geography. And I briefly mentioned, uh, talked about it. There is no other spirit, uh, genuine spirit. I want to say, 
uh, in the world that is made in so many places. First of the entire Caribbean uh, area that already encompasses many, many countries. But as I said, it goes all the way to Indian Ocean, Southeast Asia, uh, Oceania, Australia, uh, Japan, and so on. <clears throat> and that these are just countries which are a native sugarcane uh, industry or sugar uh, industry and have rum. Of course, now there's also a lot of countries that make rum, but we've imported raw materials. That will be a subject for another episode. Um, but no, like in North America, all the way to uh, Nova Scotia, there are people distilling and making rum. It is an absolute global spirit. And that gives us an opportunity to try, uh, especially when it comes to sugarcane juice, a lot of terroir. Like I've never been to uh, the Grenada Island. I don't know if I will ever have a chance of going to Grenada. But thanks to rum, I have tried at least the terroir of Grenada. Um, and uh, it is one of the... The, the, the rare spirits that allows us to travel in really many, many places. And at least through rum, through the eyes of rum, we can really see the differences of uh, terroir, which encompasses all the natural elements that will give flavor to the produce. So things like yeast in the air, uh, the water source where the rum is being made, the soil, of course, the, the composition in the soil, much like in wine, of course, give a different, make different type of variety of sugarcane to grow and give the sugarcane different flavors. Just like if you have grape in Australia and grape in Chile, they're not going to taste the same because the soil is different. Okay. Uh, of course, the climate, of course, the, especially when it comes to aging and the, the heat of the area where the rum is aging gives a, makes the rum age in a very different manner. And that terroir is really is, is a fascinating combination of natural elements which can't be replicated outside of the location where the rum is being produced. So it's great to try your rum from Martinique that's been made in Martinique and aged in Martinique using really all the natural environment of Martinique and then offer us this product to try. And that gives us an opportunity to try really uh, the terroir of Martinique. Just like, and it's, um, for me, I think it's really fascinating. Give us a chance to travel like this, especially right now when we are all, we've all been grounded for now an extended period of time. Um, but for me, this, this geographical richness in rum is absolutely fascinating. And that's the only spirit that can do that. Some spirits are made everywhere. I think if you think about gin, Gin is made in every corner of the world, but gin is always as a base, is a neutral spirit. And then we incorporate botanicals. So in gin, there is no notion of terroir, or much less than in a, in a produce that is heavily uh, reliant on its natural resources. But another product that has a very strong terroir connection is tequila, because tequila can only be made in certain state of Mexico. Um, and then between state to state or so domain to domain, the blue agave will have different flavor based on the altitude it's being grown, the water, the soil, and so on. So it would be there will be very subtle differences between tequilas. But geographically, that is very restricted. It's an appellation of control of origin, of course, and tequila has got to come from those three or four states in Mexico. Uh, rum, on the other hand, can really be made everywhere. So there's pros and cons. Um, a lot of produce out there have been calling themselves rum uh, in, uh, in recent times. I think the European Union 
has made a few big brands out there lose the appellation rum on their bottle. So uh, when you see a bottle and it portrays everything you think about rum, but there's actually not the word rum on the bottle, you may actually hold in your hand a bottle of uh, liquor with rum flavor uh, and not actual rum. Uh, that being said, so there was a second point. I think geography is a, is, a, is a fascinating point with rum. And as you uh, start your journey in a discovery of rum, it will take you to the uh, most astonishing places. Uh, I have in front of me tonight two bottles of rum uh, bottled by that boutique rum company, which is a division of Atom Brands out of the UK. And I have a, a 16-year-old Haiti rum which is from the Barboncourt Distillery. And I have a 19-year-old Bellevue Distillery, which is out of Guadeloupe in the French West Indies. Um, whilst I am sitting here in the countryside France, I have a piece of the Caribbean with me, and I find it this uh, really, really, uh, really exciting to know that this product was made there and aged there, and then it traveled all the way to end up on my, on my desk in my very um, humble setup. Um, the third point of what is rum such an exciting category is where most of the future podcast episodes going to be focusing on is of course the product itself. Rum has a very complete and complex set of uh, production techniques and every change in these elements make a very radically different product. We've started by, taking, by talking about terroir, and that already gives us uh, thousands or hundreds of thousands of different combinations. The different soil that the rum was being made, the different sugarcane variety that the rum was being made. That sugarcane gave juice. If that juice has been reduced, it became sugarcane honey. If that juice has been uh, used for sugarcane production, it gives us molasses. And then you have fresh molasses, or do you have... Or or where the absolute final molasses after sugar crystallization have been used, already from raw material, almost an infinite possibility of, uh, of choice. Um, the location, we talk about the geography. Of course, if you make a rum uh, in uh, Hamden, for example, in Jamaica, they use spring water. There is only in that place where you can make that taste. You cannot replicate the minerality of the water of Hamden in Australia. It's very different. Very, very different. But I'm sure at Binley, they also have their own setup in Australia. And they also make their very, their very unique. So the location is a, <clears throat> is a very fascinating, uh, very fascinating uh, aspect to the product. Then once you've considered all the possibilities related to terroir, and then you have all the possibilities related to raw material and where the product is being made, then the next step in the produce is the fermentation. We're using short fermentation, long fermentation, or using natural yeast, or using uh, certain yeasts. Um, some rum uh, ferment in one day, some rum ferments in 12, 14, 16 days. Uh, fermentation is where a lot of the chemical compounds, those, uh, those esters are gonna develop in the rum, 
And that's going to give the rum already its, its uniqueness and its flavor profile. So, so much can happen during fermentation. And of course, different countries, different distilleries have different tradition. At Savannah in the Reunion Island, they distill up to, they ferment up to 16 days. And that's a very unique aspect of the rum from the Reunion Island. So, something very, very unique to, to, to try and to consider. And to my knowledge, this is rum is also the only category that has such a variety of fermentation technique. Hamden, for example, they distill, they ferment, excuse me, uh, in wooden vats. They don't add yeast. So it's the same vats that have been used for 260 years. Then the juice goes in the, in the vats and they let the fermentation happen by itself. So there's a lot of ferment in the wood and in the air that make the fermentation start. That's a unique specification of Hamden. And fermentation is always very much overlooked when it comes to rum flavors. But it's an absolute critical stage in imparting the final flavors uh, in the product. So fermentation is a very fascinating uh, aspect also of the rum production that's we, that, uh, that we will tackle in a future episode. But definitely one thing to consider and one thing to think when you choose your bottle of rum, think, okay, what kind of fermentation is it? I don't think there is... The point of this podcast is not to say what is best and what is, uh, what is worse. But it's uh, interesting to also figure out that maybe you like short fermentation better, you like long fermentation better. Maybe a lot of people think long fermentation brings too much funky character to the rum. This is all very personal opinion. But uh, I think ferment the fermentation is very often overlooked. <clears throat> Next is the aging of the rum. Ah, about the product, rum is one of the very few, uh, one of very few, one of the few a spirit that has as much people liking it aged and as that people that like it non-aged whiskey for example is only aged whiskey to be named whiskey needs to be aged three years cognac armagnac brandy you need to be aged at least two years uh, tequila is one of the few that that can be appreciated aged or non-aged but rum they are there's a whole world of white rum out there and when we say non-age, I mean really non-age in wood tanks. Huh? Spirit always needs to be rested in some sort of, usually in stainless steel containers, just for the alcohol to settle down and the product to, uh, to, to, to come down. But the, the, um, in rum, there is a world of white rum. So you, we all know the big white rum brands out there, you know, the Bacardi, the Havana Club, all that stuff. Then there are a lot of white rum brands out there. You look at them and you think, oh, that's not aged, but actually it's been aged and then it's been charcoal filtered. That's a particularity of some areas of, the, of, the, of, of uh, South America. I think especially Colombia, they're quite known to do that. Uh, I think in Cuba as well, <clears throat> they, they're quite known to do that. Um, just because the rum producer wants to offer to the market a white rum and not a gold rum or a dark rum. Okay. And then you get the aging. And the aging of rum, that's a very, very sensitive and touchy subject at the moment. There's a lot of controversy. Um, first, because rum was historically not aged where it was made. That's one thing which is very important to understand. That's a big difference between rum and other spirits such as whiskey and bourbon or tequila. Um, rum was made in the Caribbean, but then aged in Europe. And there's a very special reason for that. Historically... It was a way for uh, the continental countries uh, to keep control over the colonies. Uh, 
but mostly it was for for simple business reasons in Jamaica angel shares go up to six eight percent some places in the Caribbean angel share go to ten percent so when ten percent of your production evaporates every year and you make millions of liters or hundreds of thousands of liters of rum a year that's a lot of rum you're losing that's a lot of business you're losing so rum was made in the Caribbean and shipped to Europe to age in Scotland or in Netherlands where the angel share, the evaporation, was only 2% per year. So that's the history. Now, more and more people want rum that has been, like other spirits, made and aged where it's coming from. And is born the controversy between continental aging and tropical aging. And of course, both sides of the argument are um, absolutely sure to be right. The, the truth from a consumer, from, a, from us, from our perspective, is it gives us two very different styles of the same product. In Continental, the wood is not going to have such a strong impact on the spirit and we're going to have a much longer, more mellow finishing, aging. In the Caribbean, the aging is a lot faster and it's, it's, very, it's, it's the same. Huh? It's like you go from point A to point B, but like there is two routes to go. There's not just one road. And aging in the Caribbean is going to make the wood usually come out a lot more and uh, the alcohol concentration is going to be higher. And uh, it's going to just develop very different tones. So if you take the exact same product and you age it entirely differently, continental or tropical, at the end, you're going to have a very different product. Um, Vellier was trying to, to show that um, a couple of years ago with a bottling uh, from Money Musk in, in Jamaica. For those of you who don't know Vellier are, <clears throat> they are one of the driving force in the world of rum today, uh, driving a lot of innovation. And Vellier is a trading company out of Italy, but they are behind some of the most sought-after um, rum bottlings of recent years. A lot of Caronese, but a lot of other stuff. Um, they are behind the rebirth of Hamden. Uh, they are the ones that uh, made the world discover Clairin rum. Uh, it's a company to which we will refer very often because uh, personally I'm a, I'm a great admirer I've had the chance of meeting the owner Luca Gargano many times we actually used to work a bit together so it's um, I think they, 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 they are doing an immense favor to the world of Rome and to the public um, by helping people understand there's so much more to Rome than uh, parrot ships and parrots and, uh, and that kind of stuff um, but the aging is a, is a is a is a is an interesting topic. So people, some people are defending the right of buying rum uh, where it's made, but then aging it elsewhere. And some people are saying no. From now on, rum should be aged where it's made. Uh, and that's a that's a huge controversy. It's a controversy. It's a controversy that's been settled in other spirit a long time ago. Uh, whiskey, uh, Scotch whiskey must be aged in Scotland. Uh, cognac must be aged in cognac. Tequila must be bottled uh, in, in Mexico. For some reason, the rule has not applied to rum yet. And of course, when people want to change the rule, there is always a winning side and a, and a, a losing side. And a lot of controversy, a lot of drama in that area at the moment. If you follow the argument between especially people that have uh, business conflicting business interest especially in Barbados um, if you have questions about the topic I can uh, I can answer but it's um, 
I don't think it does any good to us, the consumers, but at least it's good that we know that the difference is there and we can choose and we can explore and we can consider and we can then make up our own mind thinking, oh, actually distillery, I like it better continentally aged because it makes more the fruity notes come out and I don't like so much the wood. And this distillery, I like it better continentally aged because it gives the, like, a very good kick or good punch. And um, it's fully personal. So if you combine all of these things together, uh, location uh, or terroir, the raw material, the fermentation style, whether the rum is being aged or not, you obtain literally unlimited uh, amount of uh, quantity of styles. And this is what makes me, excites me so much. Um, before uh, falling in love with rum, I was working in whiskey. And fortunately, in whiskey, you pr we pretty much know everything. There's no surprise in whiskey. You drink whiskey, we drink, uh, you drink a Speyside, or you drink a Japanese, or you drink... Uh, there's very little innovation. Uh, some people will kill me if they hear that, because from the perspective of whiskey, they think there's a lot of innovation. But in the grand scheme of things, those innovations are actually very minor. Um, maybe we can just now mention the places like Taiwan and India that have innovated by producing a really international level quality whiskey. And I agree, this is a, this is a, this is great that there is great whiskey being made elsewhere than uh, than Scotland and Japan. A lot of whiskey is being made in France at the moment, but the flavors, the it's it's all known. You know what a distilled fermented malted barley is going to taste like at the end whether you finish it in a cask of sherry in a cask of bourbon or in, in a cask of saute on a bagnole it's it's going to be a different style of whiskey we know the notes uh, been there done that it's very very hard to surprise people in whiskey and there's been whiskey has been under such intense scrutiny for the past 10 years so many people have tried so many exciting bottles there are so many places in the world where you can drink the whiskey of your dreams. Uh, I've had the chance to try some whiskeys from the 1930s, a uh, couple of years back. You know, it's like once you've been there, like what is there else to try? And uh, and uh, I don't think there is any stone unturned in the world of uh, in the world of whiskey, unfortunately. And same with bourbon. Huh? It's uh, I, I will uh, put together whiskey with an e and without an e. Um, Wilstein rum. And that's my final, my fourth point about why I think rum is such a fascinating category is there are so many stones unturned in rum. And the, the greatest weakness of rum and one rum diversity has not, is not developed or better known from the public is because rum is made in so many places. So one of its greatest strengths is also one of its greatest weaknesses. There is no coordination in rum. Rum doesn't have a governing body that says these are the rules like they have in whiskey, for example. So at, on one hand, it preserves local differences. On the other hand, it's actually kept everybody in their corner and the industry hasn't you know, come together and say, okay, guys, let's make this together and, and make, make rum big. To, make a, to draw a parallel with wine, we have a similar situation in France, for those of you who like French wine. Um, 
when Bordeaux and Burgundy as brands have gone absolutely huge over the past uh, 200 years probably uh, and everybody in the world knows what Bordeaux and Bourgogne is and and the style of wine it represents even though of course there's millions of exceptions but if you think Bordeaux you think of a certain style of wine if you think Burgundy you think of a style of wine Loire Valley where I'm from which is a very very vast uh, wine producing area that encompasses the Muscadet from Nantes all the way to Sancerre so it's a very long, about 400 kilometer long stretch. Loire Valley is not a big global known brand because there are so many different styles in the Loire Valley that everybody is trying to fight for its own name. And but unfortunately, none of them has enough power to make it to the global scene. So division uh, has been the greatest weakness of Loire Valley wine uh, over the centuries. And in Rome is the same. And uh, just Rome is made in so many places, it's impossible to get everybody at the table and to agree on a set of rules and to say, guys, this is Rome, this is what spice Rome is, this is what age Rome is, this is what's allowed, this is what's not allowed, and so on and so forth. That being said, uh, that, little, that little jungle situation out there for the public, for us, for the consumer, makes it very exciting because there is a lot, lot, lot unknown in Rome. There are new casks, new distilleries, new secrets being discovered. None of us has tried already all the rums and all the styles possible. As I said earlier, I have in front of me a 16-year-old Barbancourt from Haiti. That bottle doesn't say the place where it's been aged, but looking at the color and intensity for a 16-year-old, um, I think most of it is a continental aging. Uh, but I had never tried a continental age 16-year-old Barboncourt bottled at cast strength. This is not something you find easily uh, in, the, in the market. This one's bottled at 56.7%. It was an exclusive bottling for Germany. There's only been 136 bottles. Um, until very, very recent time, finding age Haitian rum still isn't today the easiest of things. I mean, I mean Barboncourt is not a clear, but... If you think of the, 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 the appellation of rum from Haiti, the Clair, which is a technically a French style uh, rum made of pure sugarcane juice, until very recently, there was no aged Clair in the market. Until uh, what, 2016, maybe, when the first aged Clair came out. And that's incredible. It's one produce that didn't exist or never made it out of the island until then. Um, I have a bottle of uh, River Antoine from Grenada Island. It's a, it's a rum that very few bottles make it out of Grenada Island because the rum is not allowed to be transported on board of planes because the alcohol level is too high. So until lately, nobody would have tried this, uh, this, uh, this very, very special rum, which is absolutely gorgeous and super tasty. Um, millions of million other examples and don't get me started about marks which is a mark in rum is really pretty much is the closest thing we have to the equivalent of a single mark in the world of rum and being able to try one of the eight style of Hamden aged or not aged to me, that's the closest thing that one, someone must have felt when he tried the first Glenfiddich in the 60s. 
being the first people to try the single malt in a city. Now, single malt is a very common thing. Huh? Everybody has tried sing a single malt whiskey. We've tried blend and we've tried single malt. We've all been at some point drank a bit too much of uh, Jack Daniels or Shivas or Johnny Walker. Huh? Is it drinking rum? Is rum from, for, for enjoyment, for having fun? And we've also tried very good, very good single malt. Very clear, very clear difference. And with rum was generally always blended one way or the other. Now we have single mark rums. And single mark rums that started with Habitation Vellier in 2015. Until 2015, nobody but the people who worked at the distillery had tried a single mark Hamden. Nobody. And Hamden is 265 years old. And today, there have been several bottles, many bottles, actually. Today, you can pretty much try each individual style of Hamden, aged or non-aged. And Hamden has eight styles. So aged and aged, I think roughly 16. If we keep the in-cask uh, esterification on the side, Hamden uh, roughly makes 16 styles of rum. Today, we are able to try them all. Before that, if you tried Hamden, Hamden was mixed in big rums, in Myers and Captain Morgan, that kind of stuff. We'll do a very big session on uh, on, on Jamaican rum because this is a, this is really where my heart is. But for me, that's the that's the greatest thing about rum is the unknown. The unknown about rum is what makes it so exciting. Every day is a new uh, is a new discovery. Appleton bottling the first single mark, single cask, not single cask, single mark rum uh, last year. That's such a gigantic, ginormous event. I've had the bottles on my shelf for <laughs> maybe three months, six months. I still can convince myself to open them because it's such a, it's such a special product. You need to be in the right frame of mind to uh, to uh, to try it open, um, and that's a big stone to unturn. So, like once you unturn that one, it's uh, it, it's hard to find a new a new unicorn, a new bigger stone to unturn. So, I'm taking I'm taking my time with this one, but whilst we will uh, know and discover and learn more about rum together, and thank you for all of you that giving me a little bit of your time to listen to what uh, Matt has to say out of France about rum. I'm sure there's a lot of more sources out there to, uh, to, to learn, to, uh, to understand more about rum. And so I thank you for uh, giving me some of your time to, uh, to, to listen to what I had, I had to share. Um, but let's go to the greater known. Let's see what else is in store for us. Let's see what else we can try. Let's see what else we can discover. And once we've done that, let's go back to the fundamentals. Let's enjoy every product for what it is. Let's enjoy the uniqueness. Let's enjoy the terroir. Let's enjoy the history of products. Let's enjoy the tradition of groups of people that generation after generation have made their best effort to produce a great product to the world. And with the technology now, we can hear the story of 
Mr. X out of Haiti, Mr. Y out of Martinique, Mr. Z out of Jamaica, Brazil, Thailand, Cambodia, Australia, Japan, America, so on and so forth. So I'm very excited to continue that journey in everybody's company. If you have questions, don't fret to shout me an email or contact me through social media. You can find me easily on Instagram and TikTok at Matt Explains Rum. And I look forward to uh, the next episode, which will be a detailed description about the three big broad families of rum. What is behind the appellation of French rum, English rum, and Spanish rum? And already a lot of uh, cleaving information, um, but it's important to understand and to build a map in our journey uh, because we will be referring a lot to that in the future. Okay. That's it. So that's me signing off. My Haiti rum now has been properly aerated. I'm going to enjoy a nice fine drum. And I wish you all well. And I'll see you soon for episode 102 of Matt Explains Rum. Good night, everybody. <laughs>